Book Two, Chapter Five of *The Cathedral* by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: Falk by the River. Upon that same evening, when the conspirators met at Bentick Major's handsome study, Mrs. Brandon had a ridiculous fit of hysterics. She had never had hysterics before. The fit came upon her now when she was sitting in front of her glass, brushing her hair. She was dressing for dinner, and could see her reflection, white and thin, in the mirror before her. Suddenly the face in the glass began to smile, and it became at that same instant another face that she had never seen before. It was a horrid smile, and broke suddenly into laughter. It was as though the face had been hit by something, and cracked then into a thousand pieces she laughed until the tears poured down her cheeks but her eyes protested looking piteously and in dismay from the studied glass she knew that she was laughing with shrill high cries and behind her horror at her collapse there was a desperate protesting attempt to calm herself driven above all upon her agitated heart by the fear lest her husband should come in and discover her the laughter ceased quite suddenly and was followed by a rush of tears she cried as though her heart would break then with trembling steps crossed to her bed and lay down very shortly she must control herself because the dinner-bell would ring and she must go to stay and send the conventional excuse of a headache would bring her husband up to her and although he was so full of his own affairs that the questions that he would ask her would be perfunctory and absent-minded she felt that she could not endure just now to be alone with him she lay on her bed shivering and wondering what malign power it was that had seized her malign it was she did not for an instant doubt she had asked did ask for so little only to see morris for a moment every day to see him anywhere in as public a place as you please but to see him to hear his voice to look into his eyes to touch his hand soft and gentle like a woman's hand that had been now for months an absolute necessity she did not ask more than that and yet she was aware that there was no pause in the accumulating force of the passion that was seizing her she was being drawn along by two opposite powers the tenderness of protective maternal love and the ruthlessness of the lust for possession she wanted to care for him to watch over him to guard him to do everything for him and also she wanted to feel her hold over him to see him move almost as though he were hypnotized towards her the thought of him the perpetual incessant thought of him ruled out the thought of every one else in the world save only falk she scarcely now considered her husband at all she never for an instant wondered whether people in the town were talking she saw only morris and her future with morris only that and falk upon falk now everything hung she had made a kind of bargain if falk stayed and loved her and cared for her she would resist the power that was drawing her towards morris now a million times more than before she had met morris she must have some one for whom she could care it was as though a lamp had been lit and flung a great track of light over those dark empty earlier years 
how could she ever have lived as she did the hunger the desperate eager greedy hunger was roused in her falk could satisfy it but if he would not then she would hesitate no longer she would seize morris as a tiger seizes its prey she did not disguise that from herself as she lay now trembling upon her bed she never hesitated to admit to herself that the thought of her domination over morris was her great glory she had never dominated any one before he followed her like a man in a dream and she was not young she was not beautiful she was not clever it was her own personal 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 triumph and then on that there swept over her the flood of her tenderness for him how she longed to be good to him to care for him to mend and sew and cook and wash for him to perform the humblest tasks for him to nurse him and protect him she knew that the end of this might be social ruin for both of them ah well then he would only need her the more she was quieter now the trembling ceased how strange the way that during these months they had been meeting so often without their own direct agency at all she recalled every moment every gesture every word he seemed already to be part of herself moving within herself she sat up on her bed moved back to her glass she bathed her face slipped on her dress and went downstairs they were a family party at dinner but of course without fault he was always out in the evening now joan talked and chattered on the meal was soon over the archdeacon went to his study and the two women sat in the drawing-room joan by the window mrs brandon hidden in a high armchair near the fireplace the clock ticked on and the cathedral bell struck the quarters joan's white dress beyond the circle of lamplight was a dim shadow mrs brandon turned the pages of her book her ears straining for the sound of Falk's return. As she sat there, so inattentively turning the pages of her book, the foreboding sense of some approaching drama flooded the room. For how many years had she lived from day to day, and nothing had occurred, so long that life had been unconscious, doped, inert? Now it had sprung into vitality again, with the sudden frantic impertinence of a jack-in-the-box. For twenty years you are dry on the banks, half asleep, stretching out lazy fingers for food, slumbering, waking, slumbering again. Suddenly a wave comes and you are swept off, swept off into what disastrous sea? She did not think in pictures, it was not her way, but to-night, half terrified, half exultant, in the long dim room she waited, the pressure of her heart beating up into her throat, listening watching joan furtively seeing morris his eternal shadow itching with its long tapering fingers to draw her away with him beyond the house no she would be true with herself it was he who would be drawn away the power was in her not in him she looked wearily across at joan the child was irritating to her as she had always been she had never in any sense cared for her own sex and now, as so frequently with women who are about to plunge into some passionate situation, she regarded every one she saw as a potential interferer. She despised women as most women in their secret hearts do, and especially she despised Joan. 
"'You'd better go up to bed, dear. It's half-past ten. Without a word, Joan got up, came across the room, kissed her mother, went to the door. Then she paused. "'Mother,' she said, hesitating, and then speaking timidly, "'is father all right?' "'All right, dear?' "'Yes. He doesn't look well. His forehead is all flushed, and I overheard someone at the Sampsons say the other day that he wasn't well, really, that he must take great care of himself. Ought he to?' "'Ought he what?' to take great care of himself what nonsense mrs brandon turned back to her book impatiently there never was any one so strong and healthy he's always worrying about something it's his nature yes i suppose so joan vanished mrs brandon sat staring before her her mind running with the clock tick 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 and then suddenly jumping at the mellow liquid gurgle that it sometimes gave would her husband come in and say good-night how she had grown during these last weeks to loathe his kiss he would stand behind her chair bending his great body over her his red face would come down then the whiff of tobacco then the rough pressure on her cheek the hard unmeaning contact of his lips and hers his beautiful eyes would stare beyond her absently into the room beautiful why yes they were famous eyes famous the diocese through how well she remembered those years long ago when they had seemed to speak to her of every conceivable tenderness and sweetness and how when he thus had bent over her she had stretched up her hand and found the buttons of his waistcoat and pushed her fingers in stroking his shirt and feeling his heart thump thump and so warm beneath her touch life life what a cheat what a cheat she jumped from her chair letting the book drop upon the floor and began to pace the room and why should not this too cheat her once again with the tenderness the poignancy with which she now looked upon morris so once she had looked upon brandon yes that might be she would cheat herself no longer but she was older now this was the last chance to live definitely positively the last it was not the desire to be loved this time that drove her forward so urgently as the desire to love she knew that because falk would do if falk would stay would let her care for him and mother him and be with him she would drive morris from her heart and brain yes she almost cried aloud in the dark room give me falk and i will leave the other give me my own son that's my right every mother's right if i am refused it it is just that i should take what i can get instead give him to me give him to me one thing at least was certain she could never return to the old lethargy that first meeting with morris had fired her into life she could not go back and she was glad that she could not she stopped in the middle of the room to listen the hall door closed softly suddenly the line of light below the door vanished someone had turned down the hall lamp she went to the drawing-room door opened it looked out crying softly falk falk yes mother he came across to her he was holding a lighted candle in his hand are you still up yes it isn't very late barely eleven come into the drawing-room 
they went back into the room he closed the door behind him then put the candle down on to a small round table they sat in the candlelight one on either side of the table he looked at her and thought how small and fragile she looked and how little anyway she meant to him how much most mothers meant to their sons and how little she had ever meant to him he had always taken his father's view of her that it was necessary for her to be there that she naturally did her best but that she did not expect you to think about her you ought to be in bed he said wishing that she would release him for the first time in her life she spoke to him spontaneously losing entirely the sense that she had always had that both he and his father would go away and leave her if she were tiresome to-night he would not go away not until she had struck her bargain with him what have you been up to these weeks falk she asked up to he repeated her challenge was unexpected yes of course i know you're up to something and you know that i know you must tell me i'm your mother and i ought to be told he knew at once as soon as she spoke that she was the very last person in the world to whom he wished to tell anything he was tired dead tired and wanted to go to bed but he was arrested by the urgency in her voice what was the matter with her so intent had he been for the past months on his own affairs that he had not thought of his mother at all he looked across the table at her a little insignificant woman colourless with no personality and yet to-night something was happening to her he felt all the impatience of a man who is closely occupied with his own drama but is forced quite against his will to consider someone else there isn't anything to tell you mother really there is not i've just been kicking my heels around this blasted town for the last few months and i'm restless i'll be going up to london very shortly why need you she asked him the candle flame seemed to jump with the sharpness of her voice why need i but of course i must i ask you is this a place for any one to settle down in i don't know why it shouldn't be i should have thought you could be very happy here there are so many things you could do well what for instance you could be a solicitor or go into business or or why you'd soon find something he got up taking the candle in his hand well if that's your idea mother i'm sorry but you can just put it out of your head once and for all i'd rather be buried alive than stay in this hole i would be buried alive if i stayed she looked up at him he was so tall so handsome and so distant some one who had no connection with her at all she too got up putting her little hand on his arm then are we all of us to count for nothing at all of course you count he answered impatiently irritated by the pressure of her fingers on his coat you'll see plenty of me but you can't possibly expect me to live here i've completely wasted my beautiful young life so far now apparently you want me to waste the rest of it then she said coming nearer to him and dropping her voice take me with you take you with me he stepped back from her he could not believe that he had heard her correctly take you with me yes take you with me yes 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 it was the greatest surprise of his life 
he stared at her in his amazement putting the candle back upon the table but why 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 do you think because i love you and want to be with you be with me leave this leave polchester leave father yes why not your father doesn't need me any longer nobody wants me here why shouldn't i go he came close to her giving her now all his attention staring at her as though he were seeing her for the first time in his life mother aren't you well aren't you happy she laughed happy oh yes so happy that i'd drown myself to-night if that would do any good here sit down he almost pushed her back into her chair we've got to have this out i don't know what you're talking about you're unhappy why what's the matter the matter oh nothing she answered nothing at all except for the last ten years i've hated this place hated this house hated your father hated father he stared at her as though she had in a moment gone completely mad yes why not she answered quietly what has he ever done that i should feel otherwise what attention has he ever paid to me when has he ever considered me except as a sort of convenient housekeeper and mistress whom he pays to keep near him why shouldn't i hate him you're very young folk and it would probably surprise you to know how many quiet stay-at-home wives there are who hate their good honest well-meaning husbands he drew a deep breath what's father ever done he said to make you hate him she should have realized then from the sound in his voice that she was in her preoccupation with her own affairs forgetting one of the principal elements in the whole case his love for his father it isn't what he's done she answered it's what he hasn't done whom has he ever considered but himself isn't his conceit so big that he can't see any one but himself why should we go on pretending that he's so great and wonderful do you suppose that any one can live for twenty years and more with your father and not see how small and selfish and mean he is how he you're not to say that falk interrupted her angrily father may have his faults so has every one but we've got worse ones he isn't mean and he isn't small he may seem conceited but that's only because he cares so for the cathedral and knows what he's done for it he's the finest man i know anywhere he doesn't see things as i do i don't suppose that father and son ever do see alike but that needn't prevent me from admiring him why mother what's come over you you can't be well lee father why it would be terrible think of the talk there'd be why it would ruin father here he'd never get over it she saw then the mistake that she had made she looked across at him beseechingly you're right falk i didn't mean that i don't mean that but i'm so unhappy that i don't know what i'm saying all i want is to be with you it wouldn't hurt father if i went up to london with you for a little what i really want is a holiday i could come back after a month or two refreshed i'm tired suddenly while she was speaking the ironical contrast hit him here was he amazed at his mother for daring to contemplate a step that would do his father harm while he who professed to love his father was about to do something that would cause the whole town to talk for a year but that was different 
Surely it was different. He was young and must make his own life. He must be allowed to marry whom he would. It was not as though he were intending to ruin the girl. Nevertheless, this sudden comparison bewildered and shocked him. He leant across the table to her. "'You must never leave father, never,' he said. "'You mustn't think of it. He wants you badly. He mayn't show it exactly as you want it. Men aren't demonstrative as women are, but he'd be miserable if you went away. He loves you in his own fashion, which is just as good as yours, only different. You must never leave him, mother, do you hear?' She saw that she was defeated entirely and completely. She cried to the powers, "'You refused me what I ask. I go my own way, then.' She got up, kissed him on the forehead, and said, "'I dare say you're right, Falk. Forget what I've said. I didn't mean most of it. Good night, dear.' She went out, quietly closing the door behind her. Falk did not sleep at all that night. This was only one of many sleepless nights, but it was the worst of them. The night was warm, and a faint dim color lingered behind the treetops of the garden beyond his open window. First he lay under the clothes, then upon the top of his bed, then stripped, plunging his head into a basin of water, then naked, save for his soft bedroom slippers, paced his room. His head was a flaming fire. The pale light seemed for an instant to vanish, and the world was dark and silent. Then, at the striking of the cathedral clock, as though it were a signal upon some stage, the light slowly crept back again, growing ever stronger and stronger. The birds began to twitter, a cock crew, a bar of golden light broken by the squares and patterns of the dark trees, struck the air. The shock of his mother's announcement had been terrific. It was not only the surprise of it, it was the sudden light that it flung upon his own case. He had gone, during these last weeks, so far with Annie Hogg, that it was hard indeed to see how there could be any stepping back. They had achieved a strange relationship together, one not of comradeship, nor of lust, nor of desire, nor of affection, having a little of all these things, but not much of any of them, and finally resembling the case of two strangers, shipwrecked, hanging on to a floating spar of wood that might bring them into safety. She was miserable. He was miserable. Whether she cared for him he could not tell, nor whether he cared for her. The excitement that she created in him was intense, all-devouring, but it was not an excitement of lust. He had never done more than kiss her, and he was quite ready that it should remain so. He intended, perhaps, to marry her, but of that he could not be sure. But he could not leave her. He could not keep away from her, although he was seldom happy when he was with her. Slowly, gradually, through their meetings there had grown a bond. He was more naturally himself with her than with any other human being. Although she excited him, she also tranquilized him. Increasingly he admired and respected her, her honesty, independence, reserve, pride. Perhaps it was upon that that their alliance was really based, upon mutual respect and admiration. There had been never, from the very first moment, any deception between them. He had never been so honest with any one before, certainly not with himself. 
his desire beyond everything else in life was to be honest to pretend to no emotion that he did not truly feel to see exactly how he felt about life and to stand up before it unafraid and uncowed honesty seemed to him the greatest quality in life that was why he had been attracted to ronder and yet life seemed to be forever driving him into false positions even now he was contemplating running away from this girl until to-night he had fancied that he was only contemplating it but his conversation with his mother had shown him how near he was to a decision nevertheless he would talk to ronder and to his father not of course telling them everything but catching perhaps from them some advice that would seem to him so true that it would guide him finally when the gold bar appeared behind the trees he forced himself into honesty with his father how could he have meant so sincerely that his mother must not hurt his father when he himself was about to hurt him and this discovery had not lessened his determination to take the step was he then utterly hypocritical he knew he was not he could look ahead of his own affair and see that in the end his father would admit that it had been best for him they all knew even his mother must in her heart have known that he was not going to live in polchester forever his departure for london was inevitable and it simply was that he would take annie with him that would be for a moment a blow to his father but it would not be so for long and in the town his father would win sympathy he falk would be condemned and despised they would say ah that young brandon he never was any good his father did all he could but it was no use and then in a little time there would come the news that he was doing well in london and all would be right he looked to his talk with ronder ronder would advise well ronder knew life he was not provincial like these others suddenly he was cold he went back to bed and slept dreamlessly next evening as half-past eight was striking he was at his customary post by the river above the dog and pilchard a heavy storm was mounting up behind the cathedral black clouds being piled tier on tier as though some gigantic shopman were shooting out rolls of carpet for the benefit of some celestial purchaser the cathedral shone in the last flash of the fleeing light with a strange phantasmal silver sheen once more it was a ship sailing high before the tempest down by the river the dusk was grey and sodden the river flowing sullenly was a lighter dark between the line of houses and the bending fields the air was so heavy that men seemed to walk with bending backs as though the burden was more than they could sustain this section of the river had become now to falk something that was part of himself the old mill the group of trees beside it the low dam over which the water fell with its own peculiar drunken gurgle the pathway with its gritty stony surface so that it seemed to grind its teeth in protest at every step that you took on the left the town piled high behind you with the cathedral winged and dominant and supreme the cool sloping fields beyond the river the dark bend of the wood cutting the horizon these things were his history and he was theirs there were many other places to which they might have gone other times that they might have chosen but circumstances and accident had found for them always this same background 
he had long ago ceased to consider whether any one was watching them or talking about them they were neither of them cowards although to annie her father was a figure of sinister power and evil desire she hated her father believed him capable of infinite wickedness but did not fear him enough to hesitate to face him nevertheless it was from him that she was chiefly escaping and she gave to falk a curious consciousness of the depths of malice and vice that lay hidden behind that smiling face in the secret places of that fat jolly body falk was certain now that hogg knew of their meetings he suspected that he had known of them from the first hogg had his faults but they did not frighten falk who was indeed afraid of no man alive save only himself the other element in the affair that increased as the week passed was falk's consciousness of the strange spirit of nobility that there was in annie although she stirred him so deeply she did not blind him as to her character he saw her exactly for what she was uneducated ignorant limited in all her outlook common in many ways sometimes surly often superstitious but through all these things that strain of nobility ran showing itself in many unexpected places calling to him like an echo from some high far distant source because of it he was beginning to wonder whether after all the alliance that was beginning to spring up between them might not be something more permanent and durable than at first he had ever supposed it could be he was beginning to wonder whether he had not been fortunate far beyond his deserts on this thunder night they met like old friends who had known one another for many years and between whom there had never been anything but comradeship they did not kiss but simply touched hands and moved up through the gathering dark to the little bridge below the mill from here they felt the impact of the chattering water rising to them and falling again like a comment on their talk it'll not be many more times annie said we'll be coming here why asked falk because i'm going up to london whether you come or no and soon i'm going he admired nothing in her more than the clear-cut decision of her mind which moved quietly from point to point asking no advice allowing no regrets when the decision was once made what has happened since last time happened nothing only father and the dog and drink i'm through with it and what would you do in london if you went up alone she flung up her head suddenly laughing you think i'm helpless don't you well i'm not no i don't but you don't know london a fearsome place maybe but not more disgusting than father there was irritation in his voice as he said then it doesn't matter to you whether i come with you or not her reply was soft she suddenly put out her hand and took his of course it matters we're friends the best friend i'm likely to find i reckon what would i be meeting you for all these months if i didn't care for you just to be admiring the scenery shouldn't like she laughed softly she went on i'm ready to go with you or without you if we go together i'm independent just as though i went without you i'm independent of everyone father and you and all i'll marry you if you want me or i'll live with you without marrying or i'll live without you and never see you again i won't say that leaving you wouldn't hurt it would after being with you all these weeks but i'd rather be hurt than be dependent 
he held her hand tightly between his two folks is say she went on that i had no right to be talking of going away with you that i'd be ruining your future and making people look down on you and all that well that's for you to say if you think it harms your prospects being with me you needn't see me i've my own prospects to think of i'm not going to have any man ashamed of me you're right to speak of it and we're right to think of it said falk it isn't my prospects that i've got to think about but it's my father i wouldn't like to hurt if we go away together there'll be a great deal of talk here and it will all fall on my father well then she said tossing her head and taking her hand away from his don't come i'm not asking you as for your father he's that proud she stopped suddenly no i'm saying nothing about that you care for him and you're right to as far as that goes we needn't go together you can come up later and join me when she said that he knew that he couldn't bear the thought of her going alone and that he had all along been determined in his thought that she should not go alone if you'd say you loved me he said suddenly bending towards her i'd never let you out of my sight again oh yes you would she said you don't know whether you do love me many's the time you think you don't and i don't know whether i love you sometimes i think i do what's love anyway i dunno i think sometimes i'm not made to feel that way towards anyone but what i really meant to say to-night is that i'm dead sick of this hanging on i'm going up to a cousin i've got blackheath way a week from to-night if you're coming i'm glad if you're not well i reckon i'll get over it a week from to-day he looked out over the water ay that's settled then unexpected as she so often was she put her arms round his neck and drew his head down to her bosom and let her hand rest on his hair i like to feel you there she said it's more a mother i feel to you than a lover she would not let him kiss her but suddenly moved away from him into the dark leaving him where he stood when he was halfway home the storm that had been slowly during the last hour and a half climbing up above the town broke as he was crossing the market-place the rain came down in torrents dancing upon the uneven cobbles with a kind of excited frenzy and thickening the air with a curtain of mist he climbed the high street his head down feeling a physical satisfaction in the fierce soaking that the storm was giving him the town was shining and deserted not a soul about no sound except the hissing sneering chattering whisper of the deluge he went up to his room and changed putting on a dinner jacket and came down to his father's study it was too late for dinner but he was not hungry he did not know how long it was since he had felt hungry last he knocked and went in he felt a desperate urgency that he must somehow reconcile the interests and happiness of the two people who were then filling all his thoughts his father and annie there must be a way he could feel still the touch of annie's hand upon his head he was more deeply bound to her by that evening's conversation than he had ever been before but he longed to be able to reassure himself by some contact with his father that he was not going to hurt the old man that he would be able to prove to him that his loyalty was true and his affection deep small causes produce lasting results and the lives of many people would have been changed had falk caught his father that night in another mood 
the archdeacon did not look up at the sound of the closing door he was sitting at his big table writing letters the expression of his face being that of a boy who has been kept in on a fine afternoon to write out the first fifty lines of the iliad his curly hair was ruffled his mouth was twisted with disgust and he pushed his big body about in his chair kicked out his legs and drew them in as though beneath his concentration on his letters he was longing to spring up catch his enemy by the throat roll him over on the ground and kick him hello governor falk said and settled down into one of the big leather armchairs produced a pipe from his pocket and slowly filled it the archdeacon went on writing muttering to himself biting the end of his quill pen he had not apparently been aware of his son's entrance but suddenly he sprang up pushing back his chair until it nearly fell over and began to stride up and down the room he was a fine figure then throwing up his head flinging out his arms apostrophizing the world gratitude they don't know what it means do you think i'll go on working for them wearing myself to a shadow staying up all night getting up at seven in the morning and then to have this sort of return i'll leave the place i'll let them make their own mistakes and see how they like that i'll teach them gratitude here am i for ten years i've done nothing but slave for the town and the cathedral who's worked for them as i have what's the matter father falk asked watching him from the chair every one knows the irritation of coming to some one with matters so urgent that they occupy the whole of your mind and then discovering that your audience has its own determined preoccupation always thinking of himself falk continued fusses about nothing the matter his father turned round upon him everything's the matter everything here's this jubilee business coming on and everything going to ruin here am i who knows more about the cathedral and what's been done in the cathedral for the last ten years more than any one and they are letting ryle have a free hand over all the jubilee week services without another word to anybody well ryle is the precentor isn't he said falk of course he is the archdeacon answered angrily and what a precentor every one knows he isn't capable of settling anything by himself that's been proved again and again but that's only one thing it's the same all the way round opposition everywhere it'll soon come to it that i'll have to ask permission from the chapter to walk down the high street all the same father falk said you can't be expected to have the whole of the jubilee on your shoulders it's more than any one man can possibly do i know that of course i know that ryle's case is only one small instance of the way the wind's blowing every one's got to do their share of course but in the last three months the place has changed the chapter's disorganized there's rebellion in the choir among the vergers everywhere the cathedral is in pieces and why who's changed everything why is nothing as it was three months ago oh lord what a bore the old man is thought falk he was in the last possible mood to enter into any one of his father's complaints they seemed now as he looked across at him to be miles apart he felt suddenly as though he did not care what happened to his father nor whether his feelings were hurt or no well tell me said the archdeacon spreading his legs out putting his hands behind his back and standing over his son who's responsible for the change oh i don't know said falk impatiently you don't know 
no of course you don't know because you've taken no interest in the cathedral nor in anything to do with it all the same i should have thought it impossible for any one to be in this town for half an hour and not know who's responsible there's only one man and that man is ronder unfortunately falk liked ronder i think ronder's rather a good sort he said a clever fellow too the archdeacon stared at him you like him yes father i do and of course it matters nothing to you that he should be your father's persistent enemy and do his best to hinder him in everything and in every way possible falk smiled one of those confident superior smiles that are so justly irritating to any parent oh come father he said aren't you rather exaggerating exaggerating yes of course you would take the other side and what do you know about it there you are lolling about in your chair idling week after week until all the town talks about it falk sprang up and whose fault is it if i do idle what have i been wanting except to go off and make a decent living whose fault oh mine of course the archdeacon shouted put it all down to me say that i begged you to leave oxford that i want you to laze the rest of your life away why shouldn't you when you have a mother and sister to support you stop that father falk also was shouting you'd better look out what you're saying or i'll take you at your word and leave you altogether you can for all i care the archdeacon shouted back they stood there facing one another both of them red in the face a curious family likeness suddenly apparent between them well i will then falk cried and rushed from the room banging the door behind him End of book two chapter five